Hey, hey there. Welcome back. And if you're new to my podcast, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Have you ever had one of those days when you just can't make anything work? You know, you wake up late, you stub your toe, and this sets you up to miss half your morning routine. This leaves you feeling a bit irritated, maybe a little spacey, which casts kind of a negative light on the rest of your day. You might give in to this feeling and quit trying to be productive or feel helpless or just bemoaning how crappy your day has been so far. Trust me, everyone has days like that. But what if you can't get out of your own way? No matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you keep having these kind of days. Let's talk about that today. Hi there, I'm Dr. Kelly Ray and I'm a mindset coach, counselor, notably known as the inner critic tamer, and I am passionate about helping others just like you and me who have survived things perhaps we don't necessarily like to talk about, but we know we want to because we want to be better for ourselves because we know that that would benefit our kids and their kids to come. I'm obsessed with teaching others how to tame their inner critic, that inner childhood conditioning, or as I like to say, undo that crap that happened to you and continues to somewhat keep you stuck and teach you how to heal from it in order to live the vibrant life you were designed to live. Yep, you were. We all were designed to have a vibrant life. Sometimes crap just happens and we kind of get off course a little bit. And so... That's, that's kind of the purpose behind my podcast every week is to give people an opportunity to get back on track. And during this episode, we're going to be talking about how to know if you're sabotaging yourself. If you find that most of your days are quote unquote one of those days, you're probably sabotaging yourself. Wrecking your own potential success is not just a harmless byproduct of low self-esteem. Self-sabotage can take a huge toll on your relationships, your health, your finances, and career. And today we're going to be talking about how some of the ways self-sabotage can hurt not only your life, but your mental health. Mental health has become a huge hot topic, certainly over the last couple of years of everything that we globally have gone through. And it's something that I'm excited about because it has come fully on the table. If you haven't heard about mental health by now, then I have to assume you're living under a rock or you're trying to ignore it because it's everywhere, even on mainstream TV. But it's something that I really am passionate about. People taking and looking into their own mental health. Mental health could be stress, anxiety, sadness, not even necessarily clinical depression. And there's reasons we have those things and there's reasons we should work on that. Again, you were designed to live vibrantly, not surviving barely. I can tell you that. It's my goal by the end of this episode that you have a better understanding of the thoughts and emotions that create self-sabotage. If you can relate to any of these things, please don't take this feedback as an attack on your character or that I'm judging you in some way. It's also not meant 
as a diagnosis as much as it's meant as a self-improvement guide for those of you who have been feeling a little stuck. Look, that's again, my whole purpose for creating this podcast is to be able to bring something weekly to potentially help you, potentially get you on track, potentially give you just what you needed to keep going through your week. And if you need more than that, reach out and let's get in touch. Get in touch with me. Listen to the rest of this episode because as always, I share ways for you to connect with me. So let's get started. I got seven major signs of sabotage I want to share with you. Number one, you're too hard on yourself. Are you constantly putting yourself down or picking apart everything you do? Are you able to let your mistakes go or do you replay everything you did wrong? Do you focus more on your failures than your successes? Do you ever even acknowledge your successes? If any of this sounds familiar, you could be sabotaging yourself by being too perfectionistic. The need to be perfect no matter what often leads a person who needs to be perfect feeling they will never be good enough. This is because the end goal of perfection is often unrealistic. Not surprisingly, constantly feeling as though who and what you are never measures up leads to lower self-esteem and higher feelings of failure or inadequacy. Being overly self-critical or perfectionistic can also hurt your mental health, resulting in fear of making mistakes. One of the features of perfectionism is being overly critical of your mistakes. This can easily get out of hand, resulting in you not wanting to make a move for fear of doing something wrong. It also has some unrealistic expectations. Part of perfectionism is raising the bar, expecting more and more of yourself. You might be thinking, uh, but if I'm setting goals, isn't that a good thing? That's that, how is that a problem? These expectations become problematic for your mental health when they stop being based on your real strengths and limitations. Feeling lonely and less satisfied in your relationships. Quite often, people who identify as having perfectionistic traits are less likely to participate in activities. Also, those who see themselves as perfectionist are less likely to feel fully connected in their relationships. Maybe because they're always feeling like they're never measuring up or they're never good enough or turning around on their relationships and judging the people they're in relationship with. Feeling less than others or hopeless. Just like having unrealistic expectations, feelings of hopelessness or inferiority tend to be byproducts of perfectionism. The negative self-talk, rigid thinking, and unrealistic expectations that come with perfectionism often result in feeling defeated and less capable than others, which then results in more depression. Anyone who has ever struggled with depression can relate to feelings of inferiority 
or hopelessness or self-blame and negative self-talk. Look, research has shown high levels of perfectionism makes someone more vulnerable to developing depression as well as make the symptoms of depression worse, which then can result in more anxiety. If some of the signs of perfectionism sound like anxiety, that's because there is a strong link between the two. Having high levels of perfectionism often makes individuals more likely to develop social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. If you can relate to any of these signs of perfectionism or how it can hold you back, perhaps it's time for you to look about whether these high expectations are worth your mental health. The good news is research has shown mindfulness and self-compassion can help counteract the negative effects of perfectionism. I want to share a few simple ways you can practice mindfulness and self-compassion every day. Talk to yourself the same way you would speak to a good friend. If being your own worst critic sounds like something you do, I want you to try journaling about it. Write out what it is, these feelings. And I mean, it may not, it quite honestly may not feel good to put that out in writing, to realize these are the things you're actually really saying to yourself. But we have to be honest with ourselves and the way that we treat ourselves. In this journal, think about what you say to yourself about yourself. Write down everything you remember saying to yourself about yourself. Do you judge yourself harshly? Do you call yourself names? Like stupid, dumb, lazy, ridiculous, whatever it is. How does it feel when you look at this list? Now think about what you say to a friend in the same situation. Write down what you would say to your friend next to it or underneath it, what you'd said to yourself. How are these statements similar? How are they different? Now rewrite the positive statements on your list using your name instead of your friends. Take a minute and think about it and how that feels. And if you're feeling resistance towards this or you feel like it's a lie, I need you to definitely get in touch with me so we can have a conversation, so we can we can work through that because somewhere in there is a belief that you're not good enough, which is why we then take on these tendencies. Another thing you could try is use an unsent letter ritual. A huge part of perfectionism is not being able to forgive yourself for making mistakes. Writing a forgiveness letter to yourself will allow you to explore your mistakes objectively, yet compassionately. You can burn the letters to let go of any negative feelings you have, or you can keep them as a reminder that you deserve compassion. You deserve kindness. No matter what you do with the final product, make sure the letter includes the following. Something you like or respect about yourself. How you should have shown respect for yourself and your boundaries in that situation. 
how you would like to show respect for yourself in the future. What you're willing to forgive yourself for in that particular situation. At least one lesson you learned from the situation. Also, be kind to your body. Unfortunately, emphasizing flaws gives a lot of perfectionists a negative body image. Having a little compassion and gratitude for your body can go a long way towards developing a healthier body image. Here's a couple ways to be kind to your body on a daily basis. Practice mindful eating for at least one meal a day. Use a short gratitude meditation as you practice your normal hygiene routine. And keep a gratitude list of the things you like about your body and how it works. Try to find at least one positive thing each day. Another thing is to observe your breathing. There are several mindfulness meditation videos on YouTube. There's lots of apps out there that do this. You can use one of those or download the app, whatever it is. Make time to connect with your senses. We take how hard our senses work for granted. Reconnecting with your senses is a quick way to practice mindfulness and self-compassion on a daily basis. All you need to do is Take note of one thing you smell, taste, hear, see, and feel each day. You can even write this in a journal. You can put it on your notes on your phone. Whatever it is, however it is, get in the habit of practicing this. Number two, another way of self-sabotage is you're quick to point out the negative. We all know a pessimist, right? They're the sibling or the friend or the coworker who seems so surprised when their plans work out well. They might be someone who always seems to point out the worst case scenario for any new system. Or a pessimist in your life might be that super cute person you went on a few dates with that refuses to believe you are into them. No matter who the pessimist is in your life, it can be a little challenging to be around them at times. But what if you're the pessimist in your life? If you're not sure, consider these signs that maybe you tend to see the glass as half empty. One, you don't go after your dreams. Rejection hurts. Not getting your heart's desire can be crushing. However, you are only holding yourself back when you no longer see the point in trying. Two, you are the first one to see the negative in a good situation. Seeing both sides of a situation is healthy, so is taking the bad with the good. However, going out on your way to pick a situation apart until you find the flaws is a surefire way to stay stuck. Number three, you automatically assume a relationship won't work. Do you get into relationships but often find yourself wondering when and how it will end? Or immediately after the first date, you're pulling out the 
the list that you've created of the kind of person you want to be around and you're labeling everything as a red flag or highlighting all the things that they didn't present themselves out on the first time you met them. Or maybe many of your exes have said they never feel like they knew you. If this sounds familiar, you could be sabotaging your relationships with your pessimistic outlook. Pessimism doesn't just sabotage your goals and your relationships, but it can also be bad for your health. Interesting, researchers followed nearly 3,000 people over the span of 11 years to see if there was a link between their outlook and their health. And they found that people who described themselves as pessimistic or more pessimistic at the start of the study were 2.2 times more likely to die of coronary heart disease than the more neutral or optimistic participants. Pretty interesting. And here as a side note, I've I've also seen quote-unquote realists, those people who declare themselves as, I'm not pessimistic, I'm a realist. They can fall under this category of pessimism too. It's just a, seems like a much more positive word, right? Realist. Number three, you wait until the last minute. Of all the things on this list that I'm sharing with you, procrastination may be the most relatable. Who hasn't waited until the night before to write a paper? Can anyone relate to waiting until the week before a holiday to make preparations? Procrastination or putting off a task until the 11th hour, even though waiting might make things a bit complicated, is easier to do if you're feeling overwhelmed, tired, mentally drained, or just plain lazy. Avoiding a task because you just do not feel into it as normal from time to time. I mean, we've all done that, right? We've all been at some point tired or, you know, maybe there's an aspect of your job. I can tell you for myself when I used to uh, work in an office, uh, filing, filing away stuff just was not my jam. So I always put it off until... I had nothing else to do and then there'd be a pile and then it'd take you the rest of the day to do it. So you know what I'm talking about, right? I know y'all have that. However, giving in to that meh feeling on a regular basis can hold you back in many areas of your life. Researchers have noticed people who describe themselves as regular procrastinators report the following, higher stress levels, being less likely to seek medical treatment when they experience distressing symptoms, high levels of depression and anxiety. They are less likely to be in a relationship, low energy, being dissatisfied for how they do at work and school. If procrastination is so bad, why do so many people do it then? Mental health professionals have noticed that people tend to procrastinate for a few of the same reasons. They tend to come from a strict household and see procrastination as the only way to rebel. They tend to be impulsive. They have a hard time with managing their time. 
They have underlying issues with depression, anxiety, or ADHD. They feel waiting until the last minute makes them more creative and productive. If you can relate to serial procrastination, it may be time to think about how this might be affecting your life. An effective way to do this is to incorporate an analysis called SWOT, S-W-O-T, into your daily journaling routine. I'm going to tell you what that is. So SWOT stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. This type of analysis helps business and financial professionals and individuals on the benefits of the decisions that they're making or not making. In order to figure out whether it's worth it for you to keep procrastinating, think about the last couple times you procrastinated and write the following in your journal. Strengths. What are the strengths of procrastination? What does it do for you? How did it help you in those situations? Weaknesses. What are the weaknesses of procrastination? How does procrastination hurt you? How did it mess up those situations? Opportunities. What are opportunities that were created by your procrastination? How did procrastinating make future opportunities for you in those situations? And T, threats. What areas of your life does procrastination threaten? How did procrastination threaten your goals in those situations? And do me a favor, go ahead and download this episode or save it so that you have it to to listen over it again if I happen to go through it too quickly as you're writing it down. This way you have it as a point of reference to go back and listen to. Number four, you're disorganized. Have you ever had one of those mornings? Your alarm didn't go off and now you have to brush your teeth in the shower to save time. Great. Now you can't find your keys. That's another five minutes of your life scrambling and now you're behind the A-ball. Not having your stuff together can create a negative domino effect on the rest of your day. What happens when this sort of chaos is your normal? If you constantly feel like your life is all over the place, you might be sabotaging your success in several ways. The most obvious ways being a little scattered can mess with you or I'm going to share those with you right now. Constantly being late or missing deadlines. Not being taken as seriously as you might want to be. Lower self-esteem. You lose things that you actually want and need. You waste a lot of time catching up when you're always running late. You waste money on replacing things and not knowing what you actually have. More stress, more anxiety. And you could be being passed over for opportunities. Although perfectionism and complete organization is associated with disorders like 
obsessive compulsive disorder and autism. Research shows clutter and disorganization, disorganization also affects your mental health. Research shows too much disorganization and clutter can make people feel stressed and uncomfortable. There was this research that found people who described their homes as quote unquote cluttered tend to have higher levels of stress hormone called cortisol. High levels of cortisol over time have been linked to health conditions such as inflammation and high blood pressure. I want to give you some other ways being in constant state of disarray can hurt you. The out of control feeling that comes with being disorganized can lead to eating more, sitting around more, emotional eating, increased feelings of depression and hopelessness, difficulty relaxing during downtime, increased symptoms in people diagnosed with anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. The good news is, is you can learn to be more organized, regardless of your brain's capacity for a working memory. All it takes is a few simple tricks that you can do at any time, and I'm going to share those with you right now. One, keep only what you need. Look, experts believe people keep two types of clutter. The stuff you think you will use someday and the stuff that brings back memories. Make a list of your someday stuff and the things you hold on to for sentimental value. Then rate the importance of each of these items from zero to 10, with 10 representing most important. If an item is below five, you don't need it. Two, make yourself a daily chart. Remember those sticker charts we had when we first were in school? Since being organized is partially a function of visual memory, having a chart could help. You can even give yourself the opportunity to earn small rewards such as extra self-care, movie, a coffee, which may help you get motivated to stay on track. Know when to ask for help. This is a biggie. This is more than ever. This is the biggest one that I see repeatedly with people is this stigma that's associated with pride and weakness and not good enough and all of that is to ask for help. And we you know, we can follow behind that. Well, people haven't helped me in the past. What I can tell you is more often than not, we go to people who we unconsciously know can't help us. They're not people in the field of helping. And so then we say, see, didn't work. So we just avoid it altogether forevermore. I'm telling you, it's okay to ask for help. Taking on too much makes it difficult to stay organized. Not asking for help is one way that we keep too much on our plates, which then we all know relates to stress, anxiety, depression, etc. 
fight clutter daily. Set your timer for five or 10 minutes every day. Then use this time to deal with clutter in some area of your living or workspace. I'm telling you, you feel so much better. And do you feel like a phony? Have you ever felt like an imposter? If you have, then you already know the main symptoms of that. Constantly feeling like you're not good enough. Not feeling comfortable doing extra. Doubting yourself and your abilities. Not taking credit for your successes. Self-sabotage. Not feeling satisfied in your job or school. Not asking for raises or rewards you have earned. Setting unrealistic goals. These are all ways that when we feel like an imposter in that, that we start self-sabotaging. Although many people use it as a motivation to work harder, feeling like a phony or an imposter can lead to some serious self-sabotage. I wanna give you some examples how the symptoms of imposter syndrome might be holding you back. You don't try for jobs, promotions, roles, or relationships that you want. You do not reach out to others because you often feel as if nobody wants to hear what you have to say. You don't honor your own boundaries or speak up for yourself when others treat you poorly. You often play it small because you feel like others are just putting up with you during meetings, conversations, parties, or even family functions. Others might miss your good points because you're always downplaying them. You tend to not finish what you start because your goals are too lofty. Imposter syndrome is more common than you think. It involves more than just low self-esteem. Mental health professionals believe approximately 70% of all people will have at least one bout of imposter syndrome in their lives. Think, for instance, the first time you got out of school and you had to go get a job for the first time. Sure, I'm sure you felt like, you know, I don't know, I don't know that I'm qualified for this because I've only been doing this other thing. It's not, that's not unusual, but when we let that cripple us, when we let that hold us back, when we let that drip over into all the other areas of our lives, that's where it becomes a problem. Number six, you overdo it. Have you ever seen that movie Jim with Jim Carrey called The Yes Man? And if you haven't, here's a quick little synopsis. The main character is a bit of a grouchy hermit. His pessimism pushes his wife away, pushes his friends away, and poisons him at work a well-meaning friend takes him to a Tony Robbins seminar where he's pressured into saying yes to everything that comes his way. <laughs> you can only imagine what ensues, right? Look, a smoother work life, better friendships, and being happier overall sounds great. If all you have to do is accept every last opportunity and ob obligation thrown at you, what could go wrong, right? It turns out constantly doing and being extra can take a toll on your mental health. 
Overcommitment leads to self-sabotage in a variety of ways. And let me give you some examples. Taking on too much leads to not being able to finish everything you start. The feelings of guilt and obligation associated with overcommitment make it difficult to speak up for yourself and set healthy boundaries. Overcommitment sets up in a way to constantly put yourself last, which just makes stress worse. Overcommitment leaves you open to constantly being asked to do just one more thing, give just a little more, or help out just one more time. It doesn't matter what else you have going on in your life because you helped out before. Why not now? Can you relate to always feeling like you have to do a little bit more? If you believe this might be you, it could help you to understand why you overcommit. A quick way to get to the bottom of this is to try the five whys activity from the book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. I'm going to give you some information here. Think about the last time you did something out of guilt or obligation, regardless of whether you had enough time or energy to do it. Write down the situation in your journal and in one or two sentences. Ask yourself why you did this. Write down the reason in one or two sentences. Again, ask yourself why. Repeat this process five times without judging any of your responses. You're just writing them down. Now look at your responses and notice any patterns. Do you see a pattern of trying to appear a certain way to others? Or do you see a pattern of insecurity? Do you see a pattern of scarcity? Do you see a pattern of rejection if you don't do these things? Perhaps you don't feel like you have the right to say no. Now list at least one thing you can do differently and commit to an amount of time you're willing to do this. For example, you can commit to only picking up three shifts for your coworkers per month or You can make a deal with yourself to only volunteer to help others if you perform at least two acts of self-care that day. No matter why you find yourself doing too much, only you can say whether you want to stop overcommitting or not. And if you're not willing to stop overcommitting, then get real honest with yourself as to why. And how is it serving you? Because if you're feeling burned out, if you're feeling stressed out and anxious, I can tell you, my friend, it's not serving you. Number seven, you are burned out. Think about all the roles you play in your life. You're a son or a daughter, a friend, a student, a coworker, a partner, a pet owner, and maybe even a parent. Sometimes these roles can make you happy, like when you get to snuggle with your dog or your baby as you're winding down for the day. Sometimes these roles can be challenging, like when you're under pressure at work. Now think about how much work you put into each role you play in your life. How does it make you feel? 
If some area of your life makes you feel constantly tired or like there's always one more obstacle or complication, this can be really frustrating. Living in a constant state of stress and exhaustion can lead to burnout. And just in case that's not enough, I want to give you a couple signs that you have hit the burnout stage. One, dealing with that part of your life makes you feel isolated. This can mean you don't speak up at meetings or that you find reasons to leave family dinners early. As uncomfortable as these feelings of alienation are, they may be an important message in them. Two, the dread gets physical. Do you get headaches on the way? to your physics class or to your work or to a family function. Maybe you get a little nauseous when a certain friend or family member calls. Do not ignore the headaches, stomach aches, indigestion, or weird physical symptoms you're feeling. They might be telling you to pump the brakes and think about how much effort you're putting into all of this. Number three, you feel drained or off. If you constantly get panic attacks or anxiety when your alarm is about to go off, you might have hit the burnout stage. Other emotional states associated with burnout include exhaustion, anger, or annoyance, and feeling completely out of control. And four, you might start messing up. It's not a good thing for a perfectionist, right? Just saying. Have you been a little forgetful lately? Maybe you've been making more mistakes than usual at work. It makes total sense that the physical, mental, and emotional signs of burnout would make you less sharp than you'd like to be. If you or the people around you have noticed that you've been less together lately, it might be time to think about what is making you so stressed out and more importantly, why you're not making the time to heal that, fix it, tweak it, pivot it, change it. Living with burnout feels like constantly trudging through wet cement or trying to drive a car with no oil. The constant stress and exhaustion from burnout can lead to some serious self-sabotage on a few levels. Here's some things that could happen if you don't deal with your burnout physical illnesses. Unchecked burnout has been known to make physical ailments, including type 2 diabetes, coronary heart disease, respiratory illnesses, and gastrointestinal problems worse. Research also shows that the inflammation associated with chronic stress can weaken the immune system and make chronic pain even more pronounced. Think of things like chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia. Another is mental illnesses. Although burnout to go untreated has been shown to make symptoms of depression, anxiety, and trauma disorders more overwhelming, know that burnout can make you more vulnerable to to developing these issues. Damaging your relationships. The mental and emotional symptoms of burnout often manifest in some unpleasant ways, 
such as cynicism, not connecting with others, making self-deprecating statements, less satisfaction with relationships. It could also hurt your finances. The emotional and relational symptoms of burnout often wind up messing with your ability to do your best. And here's how. You might call off more due to illness or exhaustion. You might make more mistakes. The constant feeling of detachment might make you switch jobs more often. Your low energy or cynical comments might give others the wrong idea about you. Making mistakes at work might lead to being written up, put on probation, or ultimately dismissed. As you can see, burnout is no joke. The good news is that you can change this. All you need to do is commit to a few daily changes. We don't need to swing the pendulum completely the other way in order to start seeing results right now. It's just you can do a few things right now that start immediately making an impact. And here are a few things that you can do daily to combat this burnout. Getting at least a few minutes of exercise daily, even if it's just a 10 minute walk. We all have 10 minutes. We waste more time. We waste more than 10 minutes explaining to some folks sometimes why we don't have time to walk. I'm telling you, spend that 10 minutes walking while you're complaining. Take five minutes a day to check in with yourself. Do it when you go to the bathroom if that's the only time you have. I'm not joking. This is, this is vital stuff here. Commit to putting your phone away at least 30 minutes before you go to bed. Limit your time on social media. Try guided meditation. There are several apps that you can download on your phone. I use one. Uh, what is it called? Let me see if I can find that for you. I can't find that right now. Let me see. Hang on. Uh, it's called Insight Times. It's a great app. And, uh, sorry, I was just, this is the first time I've ever looked on my phone for something other than what I'm recording for this episode. So, whew, we're all still here. That's good news. Anyway, this, um, this app is great. What I love about it is you can pick whatever time you want. If you just want a five-minute meditation, if you just want to listen to 10 minutes of music, the great news is, is at that 10-minute mark, it just shuts off. You don't have to listen anymore. It doesn't just go to the next thing. That way you're not burning your battery up. You're not hearing things you don't want to hear anymore. So look into that one. Think about setting better boundaries. And if you need help with setting boundaries, get in touch with me. I can definitely help you with that. Consider making changes to your diet. Make sure you connect with a positive person daily, even if that means exchanging random emojis with a friend. I'm telling you, if you're friends with me on social media and anywhere, especially on Facebook, gifts are definitely my love language. I love those. They're just so great and so much fun. So just do little things like that. Spend some time outside daily. This could mean hiking or eating your lunch in the park 
whatever it may be, even if you sit in your car with your windows down to get some sunshine, some fresh air, change of scenery is always a good thing. So where do you go from here? I've given you so much information, I know. So where do we go from here? Most of you can probably relate to most of the things on the list that I've shared from time to time. These are all normal thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. However, if you think any of this list describes you most of the time or more often than you'd like, you owe it to yourself to think about what might be contributing to you getting in your own way. Here's what I know. You can't fix what you don't acknowledge. This is why daily check-ins are so vital. If you're not implementing some kind of self-care into your daily life, then you're sure to continue down the same path, which may ultimately lead to burnout or worse, illness. I say this one thing often, our words are powerful. They hold the power to destroy us or empower us. More importantly, your unconscious mind is listening and doesn't know the difference between joking sarcasm or really meaning it. It registers all your words spoken or thought as an actionable truth. Think about that for a second. Whatever it is you think or say, your brain is listening to, takes it as truth. So even if you're joking about yourself, your brain it has no sense of humor. Now just may be the perfect time for you to reach out and talk with somebody, whether it be myself or another trained professional who can help you out. For nearly 20 years now, I've been learning and teaching the concepts of taming your inner critic. The voice inside your head that keeps you stuck, holds you back, self-sabotages you, tells you why you're not good enough or how now is not the right time to do X. This inner critic has its very own language. And when I work with clients, I'm teaching them how to actually understand this critic's language and to successfully shift it in a way that allows you to get out of your own way. The results? Better relationships, better connections with others, attracting healthier partners or partner, gaining control of your finances and lowering your debt, and loving your mind and your body in a way perhaps you've never imagined possible. Just know that no matter how you choose to deal with self-sabotage, you are worth the effort. And if you could use a little extra support along the way, I'm going to encourage you to get in touch with me, and here's how you can do that. I'm on Instagram at Ask Dr. Kelly Ray. Kelly Ray is spelled K-E-L-L-Y-R-A-E. I'm on Facebook at Dr. Kelly Ray B. B is in brown. My website is drkellyray.com. 
And my email is drkellyray at gmail.com. Until next week, please know I send you so much love.